Hello and welcome to the official Building Your Business podcast series presented by Archer Gallon Redshaw Chartered Accountants. Our firm has launched this podcast series to help simplify some of the complex challenges that occur when owning and operating a business and to assist business owners to better understand the inner workings of their organisation, regardless of which industry you operate within. Every month, we'll be releasing a new episode featuring special guests from industry, as well as Archie Gallen Redshaw directors Ian Walker, Smiljan Jankovic, and Valda Glynn to provide their commentary on a variety of business management topics alongside expertise surrounding accounting, taxation, and business strategy. Welcome to our podcast series, Building Your Business. Hello and welcome. My name is Chris Lewis and you're listening to the Building Your Business podcast presented by Archie Gallen Redshaw Chartered Accountants. In today's episode, I'm very pleased to be joined by Darren Drew, Director of Business 360, alongside AGR Managing Director Smiljan Jankovic. Welcome, Darren. Thank you very much, Chris. Pleasure to be here. Welcome, Smiljan. Thank you, Chris, and welcome, Darren. Pleasure as always. So across the session today, um, what we'll be discussing is the the current trends in in human resources and and workplace health and safety management. And we've brought Darren onto the episode today to give a a really specific focus to what's a a 360 degree view to um, improving a, a business's current staff, um, retaining those staff, and then also attracting new employees where necessary. Um, and likewise, we'd be keen to discuss across um, across today the, the practical tips on how to ensure that um, your business is maintaining HR compliance um, and how you know, workplace health and safety um, and these frameworks are very important for business owners, uh, business owners, owners sorry, to get right, um, but to also have uh, those established uh, processes in place initially, um, which then carries on throughout uh, the course of business. So uh, as some background, uh, Darren, as I say, is a director of three Business 360, a workplace relations consultancy. So I understand you've got over 30 years experience in this area. We have. We've been working in this space a long time in various different guises, of course. But uh, in 2017, David Reed, my co-director, and I, we really identified a niche, I suppose, is the best way to put it. That's the traditional suppliers of HR. We ring up and get a piece of advice or I need a new contract. So they're all one-off pieces of, of work, I suppose. What we found, though, was that businesses were looking for um, the, the ones that wanted to ensure that they're doing things correctly, just needed a, a greater hands-on service, someone that could actually come in and double-check they're doing everything right in the first place, making sure that their paperwork is up-to-date and fit for purpose, as well as engaging with their employees, because ultimately um, HR is for everybody, but some of the clients we have, and that 10 to 100 staff, don't have a dedicated HR department. So someone to come in and be their partner, I suppose, to help them identify the gaps, fill those gaps, and induct, educate, and work with management to ensure that they've got a compliant business that's not only ticking the boxes, but a great place to work as well. So those who have, have listened throughout the year would probably notice back in April, we had Jonathan Mamrell on the uh, on the series, and he spoke about, um, I guess, the immediate post-pandemic HR and workplace health and safety considerations from a legal perspective. And then uh, just recently in August, we had Wayne Clark, who spoke more about, um, I guess, the talent playbook and um, branding in that respect. So I think with Darren today, it's going to be a really well-rounded discussion. Um, as you say, we're going to be focusing on that 360-degree view. Um, 
Um, and it's going to be great to hear from, from Darren, I guess, his thoughts on, um, on the entire sort of process and what businesses can do. So uh, what I wanted to kick off with is maybe some of the, the new terms in the media that are being being coined um, that we've seen throughout the year. And, and it's things like, uh, like quiet quitting um, and the great you know, resignation, you know, understanding what these are, um, both from obviously your expertise and then as well, Smillion, you know, what you've seen of this. Um, and then also speaking maybe about some, what was previously the work-life balance is now the life-work balance instead. So it'd be great to discuss those in the initial instance. Great. Thank you, Chris. Yeah, you're still in some of my best lines then, mate, so thank <laughs> you for that. Uh, yeah, what's quite quitting? It's certainly out there everywhere, I suppose. You know, from our perspective, you know, quiet quitting sort of refers to doing the minimum required in one's job and, and putting no more time or effort or even enthusiasm in absolutely necessary. So quiet quitters, you know, they continue to fill their primary responsibilities, but they're less than willing to engage in activities, you know, no more staying late, no more showing up early, no more attending non-mandatory meetings. You know, the worker actually doesn't quit, they don't leave, they continue to come to work and collect their pay. They're just disengaging and really questioning if it's the right place for them. The reaction of managers has been interesting. You know, some of them have been mixed. Um, some of them have been tolerant, you know, in part due to the tight labour market, which makes replacing quiet quitters difficult, at least for the time being. Um, others have been quiet quitting. Yeah, I'm not sure. Some of these managers have been quietly firing, you know, or loudly firing, you know, dismissing employees who just aren't working seem to be slacking off. Uh, in fact, quiet firing has become a bit of a bust term out there in the marketplace at the moment. You know, generally, if, okay, if you don't want to work here to my standards, I'm going to make life difficult for you and maybe you'll leave. Now, again, the, the bottom line to that is that, you know, quiet quitting may or may not be a bona fide trend, but it, you know, it's a real call to attention, you know, what's happening in workplaces, the, the dissatisfaction amongst workers. This is something that employers need to look at and address, if not now, into the near future. Yeah, I suppose, yeah, as uh, Chris said, that it's been in the media recently, and um, I just want to sort of question, quite quitting has been a, probably a while before as yeah, well, so it's yeah. not something that has been in the workforce. Um, it's just a sort of new sort of catchphrase or terminology that probably new sort of generations kind of applying. And um, But, yeah, it's uh, it's been there for a while, uh, and just it, finding the best way how to tackle that quiet quitting yes. uh, it's something that we need to sort of work around in in the management styles yes. and um yes and um just find the best way how to motivate those people if they're looking to sort of uh, move on um you know find the best way how to sort of uh, exit them um yes. but yeah as, as the business owner you just really want to connect with people otherwise if there's not a connection so that's where that sort of person it's find themselves as a, in a bit of a limbo position and just doing what they just do for the nine to five and come to work without giving that beyond and above as well mm. yeah. yeah you've touched on some, some good points which i'll elaborate a little bit longer a little bit later in the in the, in the chat but you're right that that connection is very very important and if they're not connected to the business why and obviously you know if we can re engage with them early in the piece that's more important because the idea really is to improve rather than remove staff yeah. at the end of the day we, in the current climate it's very difficult yeah. so again these are adding adding to the pressures that employers are finding you know the next thing obviously it's on the back of the great resignation which is again worldwide phenomenon it's not just unique to australia 
you know, people are switching jobs, they're switching industries, you know, they're moving from that traditional full-time, steady, five-day-a-week job to, to more non-traditional roles. Some are retiring early, some are even staying in their own businesses, different, different things for different people. So I suppose when you look at that, you know, they're, they're taking time out and, and they tend to be looking at their own personal lives, you know, having a holiday, having a break. You know, we sort of look at it and go, well, the great resignation really, if you take a step back, actually become the great renegotiation, even with themselves, their career, their family. You know, getting that balance right is very important. And I think once this trend is taken off, again, we see it everywhere, people moving to the country, moving to the sea, changing, people working from home. So a greater level of autonomy and obviously matching that with the amount of job vacancies we have, well, they feel pretty comfortable. I can leave a job and get another one even before looking because yeah. I can take two or three months off when I know there's going to be a job there somewhere. Yeah, it's, it's a labour market pretty much. Australia has one of the lowest unemployment in, in history, so 3.45%, so, which is, you know, indicates that people can choose what they want to do and if they want to yeah. flip between the jobs. So um, <clears throat> it is certainly out there. And, yes, um, yes. And employers yes. and businesses will be having challenge uh, with this terminology as well. So. Yeah, I think that's a wonderful point you make. It just comes to mind that I was reading that as of the end of August, so we're still waiting for September figures to come out, there were 480,000 job vacancies in Australia. So yes, that gives you some comfort. I can leave my job, take a month or two or three off, and then I'll start looking for one again, and I'm in control of that process rather than the employer. Yeah. So. so in your experience, do you think sort of people that will be looking or migrating or resigning the jobs will be mainly searching for the better pays because they're not really for reasonably pay or remunerated currently or is it and that would be people with one or two years of experience try to sort of build up their sort of pay increases yeah. uh, or that will be some someone that's more sort of in a workforce for the longer period when they sort of hit the sort of plateau they can't grow that there's no room for the growth, there's no room for their professional development from their perspective as well. So what do you think? All, of the, the, all of the above, all of I suppose. Above, yeah. uh, and again, uh, I will go into de- detail in those certain areas, but you're right. You know, people are in that level of self-reflection. You know, I, I think one of the things that we gently have to tease out, and we do this when we bring talk to new clients, we sort of ask the question, you know, how many staff do you have? And they might go 30 or 40 or 50. Great. You know, um, how long has the longest person been there for? Like, oh, 20 years. Again, wonderful. The shortest, um, two months. You know, so we, we understand, you know, what sort of turnover that they do have. And, and appreciating that um, um, employees have their own goals and aspirations. And when we ask the question, who do your employees work for? Again, rightly business owners say, well, they work for me or they work for the company. But, but in reality, they probably work for themselves. And when you view it through that lens, you get a much better balanced view, I suppose, to understand that it's very important that you get the right fit, that your business goals, values you know, and intentions line up with your employees' goals, values and intentions. And where you can have those two align, the word you used before was excellent, engagement. You tend to find that they're the best fit for the business. So if there is a disconnect there, unfortunately, it can lead to people going elsewhere, looking for something that's not quite there in the business in the first place. Some of that's very much avoidable, but again, you need to obviously focus on that and have a strategy in place to deal with that. But yes, whether it's money, whether it's lifestyle, 
most people would like both. I'd like to work yep. less for the same money <laughs> or even work less for more money. Yep. And again, reality obviously kicks in at some stage there, but at the end of the day, there's a number of factors. Yep. And in relation to the um, transitioning from work, life balance to life work balance, as Chris mm. mentioned, so mm. can you tell us a bit more about it? Is there sort of many changes in, in the industries in different um organizations that people are accepting hybrid work environments that sort of uh, they've been burnt out they, they try to sort of move to different sort of lifestyle as well so yeah yeah um, right so I, I think you can sort of put them into two categories um the traditionalists and the non-traditionalists uh, and through this last COVID pandemic the non-traditionalists are starting to become more and more to the fore So traditionalists, I suppose, um, there's been a great study done by McKinsey and Company, a worldwide think tank, and they interviewed, they sort of did surveys across six countries, which Australia was one of them. But they, they, they sort of identified the top five reasons why sort of traditional employees move on. And, and that was around lack of career development and advancement, which you spoke about. Getting the right remuneration package came second. Uh, interesting, uncaring and uninspiring leaders and managers. Because one of the reasons you stay in a role is because you've got a great boss. One of the reasons you leave a job is because you've got a not-so-great boss, and that's a very insightful factor. Lack of meaningful work. So they're the traditionalists, I suppose. Um, there's people that are flirting with, well, am I a traditionalist or a non-traditionalist? And this is this work-life life balance, because yep. they're seeing their peers and others do that. So some of them are there looking at, well, what do I really want from an employer? Uh, and that's basically coming back to how can I get my life in the right balance with work. And again, still want to get as much money as I can for the least amount of work, but at the end of the day, we do have a position that we need to fulfil. So workforce flexibility, high on the agenda. Now, whether that's a four-day working week, so I've got a long weekend every weekend, or a nine-day fortnight, or I work a share role, so part-time, casual, those sorts of flexibility, between school office hours, school hours, those sorts of things. Obviously being paid for that work, it's got to coincide. Meaningful work, again, you've got to have some self-purpose from that. And obviously the, the big one here is um, support for health and well-being, particularly mental well-being, yeah. and then having a supportive workforce around them. So you can see there are more holistic approaches to where I want to be rather than where I have to be. Yeah. I, I suppose uh, certain employees would have different stages in their lives as well when they start creating families then that sort of uh, work-life balance will need to be overlooked and changed and or someone's transitioning to their retirement they're reducing yeah. their work hours as well so there's always a bit of transition throughout the the work period so and, and as you mentioned said so businesses need to be sort of understanding the the employees needs in order to sort of accommodate and help and assist them throughout their throughout their sort of a uh, different challenges they're going through. Yeah, I think you're spot on. You know, um, the one thing we haven't spoken about, sort of workplace culture, um, employee engagement. Um, when we start looking at retention, um, I, I'll just take one step back, but I, I think there's a, a bit of a perfect storm that's brewing for employers. You know, there's there's sort of three parts to, you know, the world that they're operating in. Is They, they do have potentially some underperforming staff that they'd love to improve on, yep. so that's a reality. I think most businesses, you know, on average would probably have 10% of their workforce that aren't quite hitting the mark. 
but in the common in the current climate, somebody doing the role is better than nobody doing the role. So those sorts of things normally aren't, aren't challenged. Um, we obviously have our existing workforce, and we really it's probably twenty percent of our workforce that we, if we could, we'd just love to clone them. You know, we just would love because they come to work on time, do a great job, really contribute, and really we'd be lost without them. Yep. And obviously, the third area is well, you know, I need more talent because obviously business is going well. I actually have job vacancies around, and if I could, I would replace some of those others with new people. So all of a sudden, whichever corner I look in, I've got a problem from that perspective. So the one thing that is the biggest fear is that you lose those quality staff, which comes back to why are people leaving because it comes as quite a shock to some employers when someone puts their resignation go what 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 why i didn't why didn't you come and talk to me and again that's where we start to identify that um in our language employee connection equals retention of the right staff if you grasp that concept which you quite rightly have there so once we understand that once people are compensated fairly you know employee retention comes down to three main things and surprisingly, it's got nothing to do with money. You know, the first one is that you need to ensure your team members feel valued you know, and heard. Secondly, transparency. You know, it allows people to feel they're a part of something bigger. You know, they understand the direction of the business and, more importantly, their role in that bigger picture. And thirdly, you, know, you need to provide employees with, as you quite rightly said before, about personal advancement career, learning, interests and challenges. If you're not connected on an individual level with each of your employee and you're not testing that in some regular way, you will find yourself with people leaving. And once people leave, particularly the good ones, the rest of them go, what's going on? Why has John left or Mary left? What's happening? Again, that's that disconnection. So they're the sorts of things that you can find out, unfortunately, a little bit too, too late. Yeah, and... Um I guess uh, in the current environment, um, it is probably the hardest to find. It is hard to find a talent. We all know that. But we definitely need to look after retaining the, the existing staff and need to understand their needs. So that's probably the biggest challenge currently. Yes. And um, certainly, as you said, remuneration, once the employees kind of get to the level that they're comfortable with the, with the pay that they are on, or at, so to sort of support their lifestyle. Um, the second thing or factor that probably it's in their mindset is the recognition. And um, it's important to recognise the hard work and um, provide the opportunities for the growth. So that goes beyond that sort of money. Um, so something that's important to consider and look at. Yeah, you're, you're spot on there. Um we do a number of employee engagement surveys and even workshops for our clients with their employees. Management's out of the room. We are just talking directly with them. And consistently, there's three areas that keep coming up over and over again. So reward and recognition is one. Uh, the second one is career and development, as you've spoken about. And the third one's workload management. So they're the three things that normally are really affecting somebody and their you know, connection with the business. You know, we understand that sort of workplace culture and, and the employee's emotional buy-in requires a strong connection, you know, and, and it's the importance of what I'm doing as an employee versus what the organisational story and purpose is, and that's what, if that's not connected, it's purely then transactional. Well, money's important, yep. 
if it's only about the money, again, we've got a disconnected workforce. So if people are leaving because they're getting better money elsewhere, that connection's been lost. And at best, you know, it is just transactional, that relationship. And really that employee is just been camping in your business, waiting for the opportunity to leave. Yep. And again, our role with when we work with our clients is just help them get the right lens to view that through, ask the right questions, and then start to that level of engagement. To start, start that dialogue, and then once employer and employer are on a, the same page, it's amazing how then they can form a united front and work on an individual plan to prolong the employment relationship. Sure. And it is about where to from here. Money is important, but that personal work ethic, yep. value, I'm being heard. More importantly, I'm being challenged and I'm growing as a person inside the business. So that individual career plan, you know, and we know in some businesses it's limited, but just being heard and being given extra responsibility is an important part of that. I can talk more about that if you'd like, but... Um, no, no, <laughs> certainly you covered more than um, than required, so yeah. Um, so yeah, you've touched on, um, on certain things that uh, Business 360's view on improving current staff, attracting new staff or talent or keeping current staff as well. So retaining current talent is, as, as we've talked about it, is one of the big or biggest mm. challenge currently. Mm. And... Um, what would be other strategies for creating employer advocates? Um, yeah, that's a really good thing. You know, the way we look at it is that a lot of people are spending a lot of money on seek ads and going out the traditional way, offering money and whatever they think they need to do to throw lollies out there to attract people. But we obviously need to look in that particular part of our business with the quality employees that we have and ensure that they are advocates. So the first thing is that engagement piece. The second thing is when we start looking at... Um, why it's so critical, you know, an engaged employee you know, certainly will deliver high productivity, you know, the client satisfaction, and certainly keep enhancing that company culture. You know, when you start looking at what helps an, engage, an employee become engaged and invest in the job, you know, they really do care about the success of the business. So the key drivers for staff engagement that we find is really is, number one, is leadership and inspiring leadership, okay. that you can set a vision, you can understand where the business is going, you feel that person has a major role to play in that. And they're happy to hook their wagon to yours and off you go. But again, if that leadership is not there, it makes it very, very difficult for people to make connected. Obviously, providing the opportunities for growth is very important. Again, that's an individual plan. You know, the provision of meaningful work, there are some tasks we do have to do which we don't like. We all can't do the, the glory stuff like Chris here, of course. But ultimately, <laughs> we still need to do a good balance work of hard grunt work as well as the meaningful work that goes along with that. Um, we have spoken about recognition and reward. Yep. And interesting, it's down at number four, and the word recognition is before the word reward. So again, money is fleeting, but when you say and recognise people for their merit and what they would, it means something and it stays with them. Yep. You would agree with that? Yeah, I would certainly agree with that. And um, yeah, you mentioned a few of those factors and uh, sometimes, as you said, yeah, uh, the culture or the toxic environment sometimes could be a reason why people sort of were, you know, would sort of disengage and, and, and not being involved um, where they'll be looking to exit and um, yeah. so not performing and then they'll just wait either whether they're going to be terminated the employment agreement or just yeah. they'll look for new opportunities. Um, and, but good businesses, you know, again, working hard not to have a toxic culture, you know, that is a systemic problem which, again, um, 
when pressures like COVID and where we are today, that starts to put a lot of, you know, sometimes um, you can't revive the patient if it's that bad. Yeah. But, but again, people will look to move to somewhere where they are valued, treated, you know, with respect and feel an integral, integral part of the business. And then the money, obviously important, but it's not the only reason that they move for. Because they are look actually interviewing employers rather than employers interviewing employees at the moment. You, you would have found that, I'm yeah, sure. Certainly. You yeah. know, and they're looking at your website. They're looking at Glassdoor. They're looking at a whole range of things to see, is this a good fit for me? And again, you've got to play the, play the same at the other side. So when we start talking about um, recruiting, I know you've done lots of recruitment things, but we, we just look at some insights because um, most people recruit staff on their qualifications, their experience. We call that skill. Um, but equally as important as you know, the other side, which is will, their attitudes, their values, their morals, their ethics. And really, that's what you want to employ on as best you can because they're the ones that are going to turn up to work, work hard and yeah. be a part of the And business. the skill can be learned. The personality sometimes can't be. Yeah, yeah. that's right. right. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. So when we start looking at culture, you know, again, I'm sorry for these little sort of throwaway lines, but when we look at workplace culture, it's really values times behaviour. Okay, when you put those together, it really talks to the heart of who the person is. And of course, no relationship generally lasts forever. People will come and people will go. But while they're here, it wants to be meaningful and beneficial for both parties as you work through. So that leadership we spoke about at the top, getting that cultural fit right, um, is very important. And coming from a HR perspective, which I know we'll talk about a little bit later, mm-hmm. compliance and you know, the things that the government make us do, um, at the end of the day, you know, it, it, it's something that you need to ensure that people are doing it for the right reasons and they're engaged and they're employed correctly, they're paid correctly and obviously they're managed correctly as yep. they move, yep. move through. But that will component is very, very high on the agenda. So interviewing for that, again... Is another art in itself, I suppose. I'm, I'm curious to know, you, you spoke earlier about um, creating that open communication and, and yeah. open dialogue. Um, in terms of creating that, if I mean, if there was a business that didn't have that so much and then it starts to, to come into play, is, is that quite a, a shock to employees that now, okay, there's this transparency, this open discussion, or is it something that if you haven't had it, you've kind of missed the boat? Yeah. And you can't remedy it. Yeah. Um, You know, it depends on your leadership style and not just on an age thing. It really comes back to, you know, my business, you'll do as you're told, Mm -hmm. or it's we're all in this together as a team. Mm -hmm. You know, and whatever product or service you're selling, you've got to identify actually the services of the people that you have in the business. So employees are your greatest asset, of course, but unfortunately it could be your greatest risk as you flow along. So yes, if we if we brought a new client on and he said, I've got all these problems, staff won't do what they're told, we sort of go, well, who employed them? Well, I did. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, so how long have they been here for? In three years. Okay, so why are they still here? Um, um, yeah, sometimes they've actually had a hand in creating that culture. So those businesses sort of don't normally survive. They have a high turnover. Mm-hmm. The quality ones, though, obviously have an approach that's more team-focused, team-oriented, yep. and they care about the... Well, it's a team. They do care about the individual. So having a regular check-in process, if you like, a one-on-one, you know, um, a lot of businesses still do the annual review, yep. which is really a transactional thing, if you think. Yep. Yeah, well, you've stayed a lot. You're here for 12 months, so we must like you. 
I'll judge whether I give you a pay rise or not. Yeah. Still, people still think, think that way. Yeah. That's all gone, as we know. The reality's not there. Um, so having a, having a program of engagement's important. That can be done informally or formally. Uh, the informal one, we think, works about every two weeks, a 10-minute yeah. chat. Yeah. You know, what do, we, what do we need to stop doing? You know, what do we need to start doing? And what do we need to do differently? And that's something that really helps employees feel connected. Yeah. That they're wanting to, they're being asked, yeah. you know, how's the role going? Where are the roadblocks? What could we do better to help you fulfil the service that you're providing to our clients? So what do we need to stop doing? Because it's just unproductive, unsafe, or just not there in the best interest of the business. What do we need to start doing better? You know, what do we need to start doing? And obviously, what do we need to do differently as we move through? Mm-hmm. Now, the feedback you get from employees is amazed when they go, you really want to know what I think? Yeah, of course. Now, from there, you can turn around and go, well, and there's some things I need you to stop doing and start doing and do differently. Okay, and that might be one or two things, which we can get in another fortnight's time, touch on. Mm-hmm. How you been going with stop, start, do differently? And that's a you know more of a one-on-one. And then that starts to feed through the organisation and people feel connected. There's still a level of accountability there. And that's what um, is very important, uh, uh, having an accountability culture, one that just holds people responsible for the roles they're employed to do. Yep. Is a great thing, you know, and, and um, most employees look at other employees constantly. Someone's coming in early or going home late or someone's coming in late or going home early. It gets noticed, you would agree? Yeah, uh, certainly. And, you know, they might you give, them, give them a bit of a dirty look and they certainly look at you going, why aren't you doing something about this person? But again, they're focused. But when the team's focused on stop, start, do differently, and that accountability's there, they've got the confidence to know that management are across it. Mm-hmm. They will deal with that in yeah. the appropriate way and hold people to a minimum standards of performance and behaviour. Yeah. Once those things become known and reinforced, it's amazing how much people step up. So, yeah. And if they don't like it, they normally step out. Mm-hmm. And no real hard termination process needs to go through because they identify they're not the right fit for that high productive high accountability culture okay and the other question i have is is touching upon something you mentioned before with the um uh, mckinsey and co survey um and the results that came out of that well there's yeah. studies you know being um ongoing at the moment and i think there's some businesses in australia mainly the uk and europe that are trialing four-day working weeks yeah. um you know, what's your thoughts on that? I'd be keen to get yours first, Aaron, and then yours, William. Yeah. <laughs> see if we can implement it. Yeah. Um, and uh, and then see, find out, uh, I guess, what's going on there and whether there has been that great success that people are seeing, whether that productivity is being maintained at the, the shorter weeks. Uh, I, yeah, it's a big question. Yeah. I think it's, it's too early to tell at this stage. Mm-hmm. I, I really think you've got to ask the question, what problem am I trying to solve having a four-day work week is it just to pacify keep my employees happy and i'll worry about the consequences later because i the phones are ringing and i need to get whatever it is we're producing or servicing out the door Mm -hmm. so i think we've got to be mindful that it's not a short-term solution because once we go down that road it can't be we don't walk in the office on monday morning and say great new guys i've just changed it from a five-day week to a four-day week unfortunately the fair work act says we've got to go through a few more hoops before we start making those sort of you know it's one of consultation and there's a process to follow. Mm-hmm. But having said that, if it was followed through to that degree, we then can't go three months later, sorry, experiment failed, can we go back? 
So again, it's being mindful that it is a serious transition to make. I think if you've got the right workforce delivering the right service, because some people still want their delivered on a Friday or the phone's picked up on a Friday. We can't have a long weekend every weekend in most businesses anyway. But I think you're talking to the broader picture. It's flexibility. You know, how do I get more time with my family? How do I get more time doing the things that actually make me happy, keep me in the right mental framework? Because work and life is stressful. So I think it's one of those challenges as you move through. It should not be a categoric no. I'm not interested in your life. You will come to work. Those types of businesses won't survive. I think it comes back to that check-in process we're talking about. And people say, you know, I would really love to just work four days a week. I'm happy to do my 38 hours a week over the four days. I know that I still might have to put in some overtime, so the days are going to be longer, but I really think it can work. So they're actually the ones coming to you with a plan rather than you trying to impose it on them just to give them some sort of employee benefit. Because the more lollies you give, if you've ever had children, the more they want, the more that they want. So you just got to and work the more they misbehave as well. <laughs> when they don't get what they want. Yeah. So I think that's the balance there. But you're right. I think the landscape over the next five years, and the point I was talking about, these non-traditional workers, they're the ones that are going, oh, I just want to do things differently. And I have the confidence to do them because there's jobs out there. It might be very different if the unemployment rate was 10%. And Interest rates were 10%. Yeah. Very, very different scenario. But that's not what we find ourselves in. So I think opening up the dialogue is important. Setting some clear guidelines that the business can and cannot live with. Because, you know, from your perspective, it's very difficult in some cases. It's just to tell your clients we're not here on a Friday, ah. every Friday. <laughs> and, yeah, that is spot on. And whatever you just said, um, just try to sort of elaborate a little bit on it. Um, you're just going to put on a, on a paper and ask yourself, is it worth it, you know, you know, shift from five to four days and it is, does it suit to the entire organisation or just sort of sort of small number of people that would like that sort of flexibility on an extra day? Um, is everyone happy to work extra two or two and a half hours on those four days to lose that sort of life work balance to subsidise for that additional day as yes. well? That's another question. Um, or just people want to do four days and be happy with 80% of their overall annual salary uh, to have that additional day. So, you know, it's a lot of different ways to look from it and this four days sort of um, work doesn't suit every organisation as well or industry. Um, for example, hospitality, uh, transport, and I can name it so many of them, uh, in terms of um, service industries and we can allow people to work four days and but still, as you said, someone needs to answer the phones on Friday or Monday, depends what day, is that a not working day? Um, and it could be just a sort of short-term achievement, but long-term, it could be a mental health issues, people, productivity levels might be sort of going down because they might be more productive in a short period because it's, they're happy that they've got yes. something different, but in the long term, uh, that could be sort of having different different sort of um, effects on the on the business as well. So... It isn't a trial, so it's an. I think Iceland was the first company, first yeah. country that they're sort of uh, taking on, and they said it's about forty percent sort of productivity increase. But this is just sort of in that sort of period that they test maybe a year or something. So, and, and Iceland's a wonderful country, and it's generally relaxed anyway in its approach to life. 
Australia is one of the most regulated countries in the world. So we do have the Fair Work Act, which yep. sort of restricts a lot of things that employers, even if they wanted to do them, can't do them. But you're right. I, I think it's having that chat to the individual, if we can, some businesses, and say, well, look, yeah, maybe you can work a half a day. Maybe it's every second Friday you have off. Maybe there's some time off in lieu. Um, if you're really thinking about moving, would you be better off with three days a week rather than five and yep. stay here? And then we can have some job sharing taking place. So I think that's just... A, I suppose the point I'm trying to make is employers shouldn't be um, feel vulnerable by asking those questions. Yep. It, sh- it should be a dialogue that's starting to take place within a framework, and that framework is very important. That framework will be slightly different for each business. But, yeah, I don't think there's any quick fixes out there. Yep. But, um, yes, it's an interesting space. Yeah. And, and we've spoken, I guess, a little bit here about um, understanding what happens when employees leave a business. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you spoke earlier about how some organisations don't have a dedicated HR individual, and you know, that's why they come to to you, or and or it's the business owner that's taking um, or putting on you know that cap at, on certain instances. Um, so when a, a employee is has resigned um, and is giving their notice, you know, what's the best way, um, you know, from a HR perspective to, uh, I guess, deal correctly with that situation? Is it, um, you know, is it exit interviews? Is it, you know, w- what's that process look like? Because yeah. as I say, business owners, they might just be wearing that hat for, for certain hours of the day. It's, you know, they're not a dedicated person mm-hmm. in that field. Yeah, I think it's, it's, it's very important to um, end the relationship as it began, as you know, professional and obviously understanding people are alive to move on. But it is a great opportunity to, to gain you know, valuable feedback from an exiting employee you know, on a range of different op- um, topics. You know, it's a good way to learn about you know, what, what they liked and what they didn't like about the business. You probably should already know that, but ultimately it is a good way of understanding that. And that does help you in correct things as you move through you know, uh, if there's a real issue around it's an unfair or unsafe workplace, these are things that you really do need to act on, so it's good to find that out. And obviously you may look at addressing some other policies to ensure greater levels of, of, sort of interaction prior to leaving. Um, it's important to understand whether it's just for money because then we come back to that transactional and it's a good way of looking at your culture again. Am I close enough to my employees? Um, obviously from that perspective... Uh, if they thought there was anything illegal, as I was talking about unsafe, it's something to tease out, or there's someone in the workforce doing something mm-hmm. wasn't quite in the best interest, again, some of those questions are difficult to ask. So it should be more conversational than a list of questions that I'm going to go through. Uh, and again, it's respecting the right that they have to move on. Where they're moving on to, I think, is an interesting part of that discussion. Yep. You would agree with that? Yeah, I <laughs> agree. Yes. And, and while we can't stop people earning a living, you know, we, we can um, put some, as best we can under the current law, put some safeguards in place around restraint and non-solicitation and confidentiality, intellectual property, those sorts of yep. things. So uh, if you've got, you know, up-to-date and the correct employment agreements written, that does start, and the, the right policies in an employee handbook, there is a part of that discussion that reminds the person of their post-employment yep. obligations that goes along with it as well. So again, no one wants to lawyer up, but at the end of the day, you still don't want someone causing you harm as you move through. So it's a good opportunity to, again, 
leave on a good note knowing that, you know, we will still be interested in where you move on to and over time potentially you would want to welcome them back potentially. Yeah, because you never know. Some I've, I've seen many <coughs> instances where people move, moved on and came back as well uh, because they left that sort of good impression to the employ, employer. Uh, but I would say in many instances when people leave um, or resign, they don't want to be overly honest, too much honest, because they want to keep that. They don't want to burn the bridge yeah, as exactly. well between yeah. that sort of yeah. uh, relationship between yourself and um, and and the boss as well. Um, but yeah, um, it, it's it's something that people always look from the best interest in their own personal. Um, now, it is an opportunity to, to yeah to understand the reasons why, and and as an employer, learn from that. Uh, and it may be that you're asking me to do too much work and I don't feel comfortable here. I want to go and have an easy job somewhere. So it's actually nothing the employer's done except trying to reinforce the accountability culture. Yep. But again, if it's for other reasons, it's good to understand that. Um, I, I suppose what we're trying to do, though, when we're starting to have these employer advocates that we spoke about before, is that we're, we're trying to get these people you know, that helping you create this employer of choice environment, you know, where the employees actually don't want to leave in the first place and actually in openly encouraging their peers, come and join us. It's a really great place to work. Pay's great, but more importantly, the people are wonderful and they really do care about you and the path that they can take them on. So I think the ultimate goal is that as a business owner, you really want to... The ideal is when you can make the claim that talent chooses us our people stay because this is a great place to work and people join us because they know it's a great place to work and we can demonstrate that so some of those people that when you're creating that culture will leave because they're not the right fit and it's just a good way of understanding that through your exit interviews Mm -hmm. obviously if someone's been here a long time you know again there's great loyalty that's shown there. And again, the door probably would be open for them to come back. But people's lives are changing. I think this is the non-traditionalist roles that have been coming out there now. So a lot of people yep. are leaving and going, I don't know what I want, yep. I just need a break. Uh, and some of them then go on and do part-time and casual work, but others go back, you know what, actually I do like it back nine to five, five days a week. Yep. So we've got to make sure you can keep that door open through those exit interview processes. And keep in touch with them after they leave. I think that's a really important part because mm-hmm. that show you just didn't care for them while they were at work. Yep. Particularly someone's been here a long yep. time. Get in the habit of you know, checking in every three months or so, seeing how life is going. Because you're right, it might be hard sometimes for them to actually knock on the door to come back, yep. but would happily take the phone call from yeah. you if you rang. Yep. And again, so be mindful that trying to bring people back into the business is not a bad strategy at all, as long as you've left on good terms. Because, yeah, especially if uh, they had a really good relationship and connection with the employer or boss and then they left for the money, as you said, yeah. just the money w- could be a reason and the new employment workforce doesn't give them that sort of level of connection where they could be sort of feeling not really you know, part of the culture, part yeah. of the business that... Yeah. They, they, sometimes they'd, they'd like to go back to the previous place as well. So. Well, that's it. That's it. Yeah, and, and nothing lasts forever. No relationship normally lasts forever. So we appreciate that when we bring people into the business, you know, we are setting up that level of accountability and we are going to support you and train you. And if they do go, well, they go. But most people, if you 
engaged and you're being trained and supported, they actually stay. They yeah. stay, which fixes the, one of the core problems that you're facing at the moment anyway. Yeah. So I suppose the challenges that we have when we bring new clients on when we go through our processes with them is help them identify you know, the right standards of performance and behaviour they'd like to set in the business. A lot of that's culturally there but not written down. Um, and then obviously have a way of particularly middle management, you know, having the right dialogue and holding that right yep. level of accountability through that. That certainly lifts standards and engagement very much so. Yep. And then proactively dealing with the organisation's employees that aren't quite hitting the mark. Yep. And if we can train and support them, great. But if, we, if they don't respond to that, we obviously have to be able to move them out of the business. And that can be difficult in today's fair work climate. Sure. Ah, certainly. And, um, and also, yeah, it depends on what sort of um, level of the employment they are, whether they've been with the business for one year or five, ten years, and it, it's totally different way of uh, how you approach to that and what would be your view on that um, when it comes down to sort of dealing with those exit Yes, if, um, if an exit strategies. comes as a surprise, right, even though you may have had wonderful relationships with them and be fully engaged and have a wonderful career plan, but they've just decided to go and do things themselves, particularly in industries that you're in, whether it's client bases. So it's very important that you really don't want to be educating your staff to go yeah. and then work with your existing client base. Yeah. So that's that balancing act that, that's there. So again, that's where those post-restraints are very important from that perspective. Garden leave is another policy that you can have or a condition that you can have. So why we have to um, appreciate that we have a business to run and employees are a very important part of that business um, we're still not running a business. It's not a charity. It is a for-profit business. And we want to make sure that we're not running a kindergarten for adults. Right? We have a business to run and people have roles to play in. And have accountability as well. So, yeah. Well, very much yeah. so. So the right infrastructure platforms, we call them from a HR workplace health and safety, the right systems are in place that determine that, yes, we can prove that we are compliant, which is great, but more importantly, we can demonstrate how we manage a very compliant, fair, just, reasonable, non-discriminatory business. And when everyone signs up to that in advance, well, then the business can flow on quite well. Those that don't wish to do that should be identified early and hopefully, I was going to say re-educated because that's the wrong word, yeah. <laughs> hopefully we can then put them on their right path and if they choose then to move on. Absolutely. So the point I'm trying to make is we should move those people out early rather than wait a period of time that they can cause some damage. Now that yeah, we covered basically pretty much most of the um, um, our discussion on um, employees' um, um, management and retention and strategies, how to deal with the onboarding and exiting, um, can you tell us a bit more about the human resource and work health and safety compliance side? You know about the contracts, policies, and documentation. Yeah. So, Great. looking from the business perspective, how important that is uh, having that sort of a a guidance that everyone needs to know yeah. what, what they need to do within the firm. Um, yeah, it's a big space. Um, you know, it, you would see it very much when you bring new clients on, they're starting a new business, they're spending a lot of money and time with you to get, you know, their structure right around the ATO and ATSIC, think certain things we need to have in place for us to do business. And again, you regularly engage with them monthly, quarterly, ensuring that that compliance requirements are met. There's really no option not to do what you're meant to do with ATO. Certainly, yeah. 
and if the ATO found out you weren't doing anything correctly... You get penalised. They let you know. Yeah. They penalise. Yeah, they actually do let you know. You're actually not doing this. You haven't got things in place. So when we're starting the business, it's wonderful. I've got great accountant, financial advisors, business advisors, wonderful. I need to put my first employee on. Now, all of a sudden, two very big, large regulators come into my business. One's Fair Work and the other one's Workplace Health and Safety. Both of those are set up for employees' rights. So what that means is that all of a sudden the employer now has a lot more responsibilities than he had before he started putting staff on. But most businesses in those early stages, you know, they're employing family or friends, people that they know. They Again, they're well vetted. Um, but as we start to get above five to ten, that network runs out and we're bringing people in who are more coming for their reasons than the business reasons. So it's very important to understand that you know, Fair Work looks at employers and saying, well, look, um, we have a set of laws here, 900 chapters of employment law. We have 120-plus modern awards. We have national employment standards. All of these things must be in place. A pass mark is 10 out of 10. Um, and similarly with workplace health and safety. The problem is with uh, their regulators, uh, they do not come out and help you set things up. They don't come and tell you which award you're under and write you an employment contract and give you a handbook and educate you on how to manage staff. It's over to you. So similarly with workplace health and safety. So they place the directors and senior managers personally responsible at that level. So ignorance is no excuse. So along that journey, people find themselves, the gaps start to appear, problems with underpayment, wrong awards, and unfortunately, that's unacceptable. And then fines occur and all sorts of things. So to avoid that in the first place is probably the role that we initially play with our clients, which is to do a review making sure that you've got this type of business, therefore you're under these type of awards and you have these types of conditions and making sure people are employed correctly, full-time, part-time, casual. You will see independent contractors as well. Yep. In the Fair Work covers those. And obviously, are we paying people correctly? We do literally hundreds of reviews every year, big, medium and small. And hand on heart, no one gets it right. They've missed something, an allowance, pay rate, wrong classification, wrong award, wrong employee. Again, that generally means that someone's owed money. And I've yet to meet an employee that says, that's okay, you don't need to back pay me that two years' worth of pay that you got wrong. They all put their hand out. So, And quite rightly so. That's employers supposed to know that. So getting that certainty in the business is very important to know hand on heart. No, no, we are employing everybody correctly and we are under the right award and we are paying people correctly and more importantly, we can prove it through our documentation. That's why employment contracts are very important. To not only educate employees on their rights and entitlements but also share their responsibility and obligations to the role that they're fulfilling. Uh, And we write those for our contract, for for our clients and ensure that they're personally tailored to each particular relationship. Because even an office full of 20 different staff, you've got four or five or six different relationships happening, and it's important to reflect that correctly. So Fair Work, uh, again, trying to keep it as as, um, basic as I can. Um, Employ people correctly, pay people correctly. The third part that they get to have a hand in is, are you managing your staff correctly? So we understand that there's ways that we talk to people, bullying, harassment, equal opportunities, discrimination. It's a minefield, really, and we just can't rely on goodwill and trust to actually 
make things everything's going to be okay. So nothing takes the place of good compliant documents, but it's just paperwork at the end of the day and lots of businesses put it on the shelf. The real important part is implementing it correctly, reinforcing it, and then educating managers and staff on what the system looks like and how best to stay between the yellow lines. And you've got to maintain that sort of compliance as well, so make sure that you keep on top of things and um, and record every sort of instances within the business. So that's yeah, very what much keeps so. you compliant, whether it's a HR or work health and safety as well. So. so regular audits are very much a part of that. And when we do the workplace health and safety side, we do do a, a physical audit of a premises. We identify what physical or environmental risk they may be. But we also create a system that, that, that meets the standards, you know, a manual that sits from a board or director level. These are all the risks that we will have in our type of business. We then obviously have a worker handbook that helps educate the employees on their roles and responsibilities. And then there's a whole range of other forms that help us maintain the right bits of paperwork to ensure that we've collected that information. Um, that takes some time to create and, more importantly, induct and implement. So normally it's about three months from go to woe for us to get an employee up to speed of where they need to be. The big part then is holding their hand when they need support. That's why we have an advice line and we're there to help them navigate the human issues that they have on the HR side and obviously the safety issues on the other. Not having anything is really just flouting the law. Yep. Um, so it does come as quite a surprise to people who have got great businesses and through good luck or good management haven't had any issues to identify the things that they do need to do to meet compliance. Yep. And again, it's a task that normally, even if you've got a HR department, it's broader than just their skill set. How can, I mean, you touched on sort of doing that sort of audit within your business on, on your own HR and work health and safety, because many businesses are sort of heads in the in, in, in sand, uh, working hard and try to manage the business and overlooking all these things. And what would be you know, just a sort of... Um, just few tips in terms of what they should be sort of how quickly they should be overlooking those things or identify certain yeah. things that they kind of um, need to be Yeah, yeah. Look, I think there's a short and long answer to that. You know, the long answer is that you, you need to understand there's a due diligence requirement. Every year you need to be demonstrating that you're actually doing a review. It's something that picks the right boxes. And then obviously you have the reports and paperwork attached to that. If you're, if you're a business under 10 staff, the first thing you really want to understand is that you know, has everybody got the fair work information statement? And most people go, the what? Mm-hmm. Well, that's the one piece of paper that I have to prove I've given to all of my staff. And that educates them on their rights and entitlements. That normally goes with an employment contract and a handbook. But if you've got nothing in place, that fair work information statement, and there's one for casuals as well now. Secondly is, am I paying my staff correctly? It's a critical thing because underpayment is a very serious issue. And while it can be unintentional, unfortunately here in Queensland there are laws that call it wage theft now. So again, not trying to over-dramatise things, but that's how important that state governments are finding that if you're not paying people correctly, there's just no excuse for that because there's lots of support out there. You know, and fair work to give them the credit are there to help you, but they can't actually do a detailed analysis of your business. So yes, understanding which, which award I'm under, because actually many businesses are multiple awards. Not just one award, award fits them. And then have I classified my staff correctly? And then that denotes which level of pay they should be. And then obviously understanding the quite complex 
overtime and penalty rate clauses within and then allowances. So it starts to get very big very quickly. But yes, if you wanted to do it yourself, you need to start looking at, am I employing everybody correctly? What that means is full-time, part-time, casual. We see lots of casual employees working 40 hours a week and they've been doing it for two years. They're not casuals. (laughs) They're full-time staff. And probably there's not enough sort of documentation or contracts or agreements in place that could sort of justify that as well correct there's no evidence to show that no no no. they've they've agreed to be casual you know we offered them underneath the casual conversion clause in that award we did offer them at the six month or 12 month they chose to stay casual so again having the paperwork to correspond with the relationship you have is very very important and those documents need to be legal it can't just be a piece of paper that you scribbled out and we're all good you're good i'm good sign here they actually have to you know maintain the standards that fair work demand and then obviously if i'm not employing them correctly i'm not paying them correctly so again it's a lot of money at the end of the day even if you got you were wrong by a dollar an hour and you had 10 staff over two years you do the maths you really have that much sitting there in petty cash to hand out and it can make the difference between staying afloat and not but definitely yeah so it is serious but but again most business owners don't think they have a problem because no one's come and actually raised an issue with them. Yep. But really, the employees don't have the same resources the employer does. Yep. And similarly, on the, on the workplace health and safety side, you know, because um, they haven't had an accident means that they've got a safe workplace. Well, the two actually don't quite align. When you actually truly understand what you know, the workplace health and safety laws are asking of you, it is quite detailed that you need to provide a high level of documentation to prove directors down to workers that you have a system that goes top, bottom and bottom up. And again, they're not there to come out and set it up for you. So it is very difficult. We appreciate that. But yet, ignorance is no excuse, I yeah, suppose. And, so, and, and as you said, yeah, definitely business owners need to be aware that they're personally liable for it when yeah. it comes down to sort of uh, certain issues within the workforce. Um, very much so. And, and, and in the past, there's been business insurances that you could take out for these sorts of things. And, and while they do cover some of the legal costs if you have a claim, they can never insure you against non-compliance. You can't insure what you don't have. So if you don't have a HR system up to spec and you don't have a workplace health and safety system up to spec, you will still be left carrying the can at the end of the day. So, yeah, it's one of those things, unfortunately, that um, will never go away. It's constant. Hence why we're in operations the way that we are. So. Well, that's been a, a really great insight throughout the discussion today. I mean, we've covered a lot from in terms of, you know, looking at the HR perspective and sort of that 360-degree view, but then now even speaking about more of the, the practical side of what business owners can do. And um, you know, as we alluded at the beginning of the, the discussion, it's that, you know, some business owners, owners you know, don't have you know, HR professionals, mm-hmm. so it's up to them to, to do it themselves. And, um in, in that respect, I mean, obviously you deal with businesses of a wide variety of sizes. Um, but if there's anyone out there that is, you know, looking to, to engage someone like yourself, what, what is the best way to get in contact with well, you? Well, thank you. for uh, Again, this is not a sales pitch, no. but we work with our partners like yourself. And, and you have clients, quality clients. And in the first instance, just a question, you know, mm-hmm. and we're happily answer questions. We don't charge for that sort of work. We're happy to do one or two consult meetings and just get to understand what's going on in the business, and more about educating on what those obligations are. Mm-hmm. So uh, we do have a 1300 number, which we might put together on, uh, 
on the, yep. on the cast. Um, and we do have a link that will go off to a resources page on our website. But I would just like to pass on the invitation. If you had any question at all, you can certainly contact me direct and we'll put the number up. And happy to have a confidential chat. Even if it's just, look, I've got a casual, I don't know whether what rate of pay I should be paying them. Happy to have those chats. Mm-hmm. Uh, or And more broadly, the ones that, look, I know I'm probably not up to speed. Because if Fair Work knocked on the door and said, can I audit your business, hand on heart, could you go, yes, come on in. And Most businesses can't say that. Yeah. And unfortunately, that is a real, a real problem. problem that could be out there. So if you'd like to understand that, scope a little bit more. Yeah, we have a... No obligation chat, to just to educate you what you need to do as an employer in 2022 to tick that fair and safe workplace. Because as employees, and I'll finish on this, employees fundamentally have a right to a fair and safe workplace. Employers have a 100% obligation to provide a fair and safe workplace. Mm-hmm. What that looks like is very different in every different business. So there's no one size fits all. Well, thank you very much, Darren, for, for joining us on the episode today. It's been uh, been a really great discussion. As I say, I think it's been really well-rounded to to cover a variety of topics. So um, thank you. Really appreciate you sharing your expertise out there. Glad um, you help. Thank you very and, much. For uh, and likewise, Smoyan, thank you for, for joining us for this episode as well. Thanks for having it. Thanks for Darren coming and packing a lot of, of information in HR work health and safety side. Yeah. Thank you very much. For business owners seeking accounting, taxation, business advisory and superannuation support and assistance, please feel free to get in contact with the advisor team at Archer Gallen Redshaw. Led by Ian Walker, Smulian Jankovic and Valda Glynn, our firm are a Brisbane CBD-based accounting practice supporting businesses across a variety of industries throughout southeast Queensland and nationally. You can get in contact with our team via the website www.agredshaw.com.au via email at info at agredshaw.com.au or contacting 073002 2699.